Yo, how are you doing, folks? Welcome to episode 111 for all you uh, people that love your numerology. This is obviously a big one. Um, it's our first re repeating triple number. Uh, many more to come, hopefully, to all the way up to 999. Don't know when the hell we'll get to that episode. Who knows? I might be in my 50s by then. We'll see. I've got plenty of shit to talk. So, you know, if you guys want to keep listening and viewing, I will keep recording this shit till I'm 50. So, yeah, here's to many more, folks. <laughs> um, hope you're having a wonderful week. I hope you enjoyed uh, last week's episode with Guy Coxall. Uh, I've had quite a bit of feedback from that. Of a lot of people really found it beneficial to explore the current legislation around cannabis and driving with prescriptions and obviously those without um do want to obviously draw people's attention as well to the outlaw episode that we previously did what 18 months ago now maybe a year a year or so ago that also contains a hell of a lot of the uh analysis and breakdown of the current legislation here in the uk so i just think quite a good insightful um podcast for you to check out actually also while we're on it daryl bickler another really good one uh, of an exploration into legislation and sort of the reform movements here in the uk uh, which brings us on quite nicely. Loose segue there, folks. We, we're getting there. We're getting there. To today's guest, who is a cannabis advocate, activist, and medicinal consumer. They are the chair, uh, the current chair of Northamptonshire Cannabis Social Club and the founder of Boroughfest, an annual multi-day festival celebrating the UK cannabis culture. They are James Rogers, better known as Jim. How are you doing, brother? Not too bad. Thanks for having me on. How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. You're very welcome. Thank you for taking the time uh, to jump in the hot seat this week do appreciate i do appreciate obviously we've got, uh, got a good bit to cover here for people that maybe don't know uh Boroughfest. i think that's going to be kind of the bulk of what i want to talk about uh for this podcast but before sort of leading up to that i think we'll ask sort of the traditional cliched question i ask every guest that uh, jumps in the hot seat that's involved in cannabis and that is so sort of how and when you first got involved uh with with cannabis um when i was about 12 13 at school smoking joints Nice. Now anyway, when I shouldn't have been a, but that was about it really, and been a cannabis user since then. So it's just always sort of been around you. Yeah, yeah. We couldn't get served in the local pubs in the villages because everyone knew our parents knew who we were, but we could get all the weed. So and it was safe. We weren't puking up everywhere, mm. and we just sat there and giggled and ate cake and enjoyed ourselves, and that was it really. So I think I saw yesterday when I sent you an email your birth year so that would mean this was occurring what around 1990 uh early 90s yeah early to mid 90s so what was sort of the was it was this solid was this uh what we would call so tack, tack nice, up north nice hash back then we used to have like your red seals your gold seals your golf balls all different all different types of hash soap bar was a rarity but obviously became the mainstay towards mm. the midnight is towards early late 2000s and that but yeah and then you had like a couple of different types of weed that we could get hold of mainly compressed bushes but mm. you had like tie stick and then you get like compressed jamaican weed and all that sort of stuff but yeah and then occasionally you get some dutch or spanish weed which was more like the nugs that we have today mm. and then yeah to like say towards from like mid to late 90s yeah the weed just got better and you only had soap bar around for quite a while, but now we're mm. back to a stage where you can't really get soap bar and there's plenty of nice hash and lots of nice weed. So it's, it's all mm. good. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? The sort of the, the swings and, and flow of, of supply sort of here in, in the UK. Um, so obviously, yeah, early 90s, yeah, as you say, the, what, there was quite a lot of uh, 
of Moroccan, Lebanese and various of the region, regional yeah. hash sort of still moving down that sort of traditional hippie highway, the roots that were kind of established in the 60s and 70s to to bring that quality hash to sort of the, the Western world uh, or the Western hemisphere rather. Um, yeah, I- interesting. I mean, you speak of yeah, this, the compressed weed it makes me think of, I think, uh, around Durham sort of ways. I'm not going to name the individual that was responsible for it, but we ended up with what we called MDF for a while, which was yeah. very, very akin to that Jamaican squashed brick. And it was like almost the whole plant. You kind of pull out a bit of stalk, the whole thing, and it was yeah, just com- com- down, compressed. It was squashed together, one of it. Yeah. yeah. Interesting, because obviously it speaks towards the um, the necessity for sort of smuggling and trafficking. So obviously cannabis was it was compressed and hash was easy. You could stack it blocks. You could move it quite quite think uh, quite far. Obviously, a lot of people because uh, I was the same. I sort of grew up around what we would consider tack, which was quite low grade soap bar. Uh, when I was around sort of thirteen, fourteen, and yeah, we always have that petroleum smell. It would you'd always have that kind of chemically smell of where it had been brought over in oil containers yeah, or in fuel oh, tanks in tires and all sorts yeah 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 so it would always carry that sort of lingering smell it's almost nostalgic in a certain way when you, you catch catch that smell like when i'm walking through like one of the council estates or whatever and i it catches my nose and i'm like oh man i'm a youth again it's yeah it's, it's odd that you speak that there is such a demand for hash but it, especially amongst generations of individuals sort of uh, like your age uh, and, and older that grew up with it, that that was kind of the staple. Um, yeah, that was what we had, man. Like I say, weed was like few and far between and what you could get was not very good quality. It was always some compressed rubbish that wasn't, it was just twig and seeds and you get a tiny little bit of bud, but you got the odd giggle from it and that was it. But hash was always there and there's lots of different types of hash mm. and it was, you know, and it was always good quality. Yeah. You know, yeah. We went through the, the really shit quality bit for a while. But I'm glad that we're out of that. And there is, you know, lots of different varieties now available mm. out there. Yeah, hash is really becoming more the connoisseur's market. If you think of people like uh, Frenchy Cannoli and mm. what their influence has been on hash over the past sort of uh, 10, 20 years and the way that it's evolved. It's it's difficult here in the UK that we don't really have so much domestic production of, you know, traditional SIF or bubble hash mm. uh, because of your BHO market, because people obviously want to make shatter and other other uh concentrated products so we see that kind of diversion you used to see quite a lot of the old school growers would would take the time and would sift their uh their their, their trim close trim uh you know even sort of the lower lower halves of the, the plants um but yeah it's just it's it's not around anymore so anybody listening bring back the hash we want more hash more hash, more hash. um so yes okay so we figured out when you first sort of got involved with it i, I described you in the intro there as sort of a medicinal consumer when, when would you say you, you sort of figured out that you were not just enjoying it but that it was beneficial to your sort of your health and well-being um from a young age I say my early teenage years really as yeah I was experiencing like pains and aches in my legs that I was told were growing pains and stuff like that that clearly aren't because I still get them and I'm 45 now and I've not grown any in quite a while <laughs> so you know, so I found out then that it helped and to sort of, you know, there wasn't a great deal of research uh, material about. You had Jack Hera's book. I've still got my original copy upstairs um, from the 90s um, that we got off Northampton Market. But mm. other than that, that was about the only sort of information on the plant that was available back then. You know, the, the, we didn't really have the Internet as such in, in the way that it is today. Mm. So, yeah, and it was just, yeah, from a young age, I've, I've used it, I've preferred it to, compared to how 
you know alcohol and, and stuff works on your body so mm-hmm. yeah after seeing people throw up in the car park, you know the local pub car park mm-hmm. and fighting and stuff and you're sitting there thinking no nah, that's not for me i'll just go and smoke the joint and, yeah. and, and spinny and just chill out yeah man yeah so yeah it's, you obviously found uh it beneficial quite early and as you see yeah, yeah. The, the, the limitation of information has been a massive hindrance uh, for the generations prior to sort of, well, I suppose my generation, I was kind of the transitional generation of the, the digital revolution, uh, you know, the widening of TV screens and fucking the creation of fucking uh, Wi-Fi and all that shit, smartphones, social media and all the other lovely uh, tools of enslavement that we currently have within our lives. Um, but yes, so you you've, you grew up through the 90s and through the noughties, so you lived through a change of sort of policy of approach do you, do you remember ever seeing a transitional point where cannabis went from being sort of this benign thing to like the creation of this like skunk psychosis myth um i mean they used to call it all skunk and stuff when we were kids growing up and i mean i remember like being like 14 15 at school and they're going oh within a couple of years three years it will be legal you know and it's it's still not but it's I mean, yeah, I mean, I'd definitely say from the mid-90s onwards, you saw a lot more propaganda definitely on the news about it being such a dangerous thing and, and mind-altering and all that sort of stuff, the, the usual propaganda that's been around for, for quite a while. But mm. it's, yeah, I just, it's, yes, yeah, I'd say definitely from like the mid-90s onwards that the more propaganda was about about it. Mm. Do, 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 do you think that, or did you sort of live through our experience um, that actually impacting the culture at all? Like the people around you, did anybody sort of hear this rhetoric and kind of go, well, oh, I need to stop this, this dangerous drug now. No, everyone just thought what a load of rubbish and just <laughs> carried on smoking and being normal, mm. you know, and it's for a lot of people I know, isn't it? The, what the law said has never really affected their lives. They mm. just carried on smoking up self and, and doing what they do. You know, I didn't get arrested for weed until I was like 35, something like that. And I got caught growing weed. I had 55 plants. And uh, yeah, they come around, tapped on my door and arrested me. And uh, yeah, that was my first sort of real sort of thing. I'd, like I said, I've been an activist for a long time, but that was up until then, that was my only real negative impact. Mm. You know, so yeah. And since then, it's, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. So what happened with the the plants and the belief in the end? Um, I ended up getting, uh, I think it was like 60 hours community service and a 60 quid fine for 55 plants. And then that was it. Was this during the rescheduled phase? Was this when cannabis was class C? Um, I honestly can't remember. It was about, I'd say... I don't know. Yeah, it was probably about seven years ago, something like that. I don't know. So it'd have been after the the change. So it was two thousand four, two thousand nine. Yeah, the UK, maybe. Yeah. That that's that's not not a bad outcome, uh, all things considered. Um yeah. So that's interesting. So what? So obviously, if you you've lived in Northamptonshire sort of your whole life. Yeah, pretty much my whole life. Yeah, I lived out in the villages as a kid, and then moved to town when I was seventeen. Mm. So how has the police's approach to cannabis changed sort of since your youthful days behind the, what did you describe it, the bike sheds or whatever it was you said? Um, They've always been pretty hard on it in Northampton on smoking and stuff like that. They've always sort of towed the line quite a bit. 
we seem to be like the testing ground for certain things. I know tasers and stuff like that were tested here and pepper sprays and all that sort of stuff. Do you know what I mean? So we, we mm. the new laws have always been sort of implemented and tested around here. But at the moment, they seem to be just concentrating on like proper serious crime, which is a mm. good thing, really, which is where they need to be concentrating. Yeah, for sure. For sure, man. Um, interesting that you mentioned sort of about uh, Northampton being sort of a, a proving ground, as it were, for kind of new police policies. Um, does the local sort of population or community require this? This what I would sort of use as conjecture to say over policing. Is there yeah. higher levels of crime there than, than elsewhere? If we're in the middle of the country. They can test and gauge what the reaction is going to be of the public and then compare mm. it to, to other places and whatever. Mm. But yeah, we, we've always had stuff tested out here first. And it'd be nice if we have coffee shops here first. Never know. <laughs> yeah, we would, it would be nice. Would be nice. Uh, I suppose uh, I do know of a few different projects going on currently to try and get discretionary um, observational models put in place for clubs and coffee shops uh, in the UK. Whether they'll amount to anything is is a different question, but there is uh, will there within certain sectors and certain um, political corners. Obviously, that's, as we were kind of alluding to before we started talking, very difficult because politicians are full of shit. You know, that's that's just the nature of being a politician, it would seem. <laughs> um, Got a better chat shit and fluently. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was going to mention fucking what I see earlier. Matt Hancock wearing a fucking Newcastle shirt. Somebody had shared a thing of him bigging up like Newcastle going to Wembley and created this whole fucking debacle of apparently he'd allegedly raffled off this shirt last year and it was a signed shirt. And just again, they just they can't help but lie. They are just so full of Impulsive shit. Impulsive lies. Impulsive lies, a lot of them. Yeah, but that's what politicking is. It's it's creative lying, isn't it? It's it's mm. manipulation and and using sort of rhetoric and other means to facilitate the implementation of your philosophy, your beliefs, your ideology. You know, and yeah, fifth. What are we in? Nearly 13, 14 years of Tories. They're doing pretty well at it. You know, <laughs> and it boggles the mind how they're still in. But anyway, yeah, I think it just shows that. If Joe, for all I'm a Corbyn fan, if Corbyn was anybody else, Labour would have won that election with a fucking landslide. Mm. But the fact that it was Corbyn and a much more left-leaning government than would have been, you know, uh, acceptable to the the Fleet Street Mafia, you know, the, the media, the legacy media um, cartel, then yeah, they just decided to fucking sabotage him. So yeah, we go into an election next year with a likelihood of fucking Kira, no personality, Starmer being the. Uh, the the new prime minister and to be fair anything's better than a tory but i'm still very nervous about how blue that man's fucking skin is underneath his suit <laughs> uh, they're, all, they're all just the same aren't they really it's just the illusion of choice and that's all they present mm. they're all just the same the same agendas the same you know the same people behind it all so it's just going to be another farce but well yeah. we'll just have to see what it does now it affects our lives isn't it Exactly, exactly. I think with the cost of living and, and sort of fuel uh, bills going up and the deregulation of everything leading to the collapse of everything, I'm hoping enough people can just kind of go, well, anything's better than what we've currently got. And then from there, we can try and make ground. Um, my hope, 
or my belief is actually that it'll probably be a rainbow coalition that Labour just won't get enough of a majority that they'll need the Greens and some other parties in other devolved regions to to prop them up. And I think in doing that, it'll force them to be a bit more accountable rather than just switching to like a new Labour on acid kind of Labour party, which would just be a bit beneficial in some ways, but I think destructive to the majority of the populace in others. Uh, but yeah, you, you're right. They're, they're very much one and the same. Um, it's just the spectrum of harms, you know, they're all going to hurt you. Uh, it's just a case of which one does it less. Yes, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Northamptonshire, obviously, mm-hmm. you uh, are now the current chair of Northamptonshire Cannabis Social Club. Uh, could you tell us sort of a little bit about the the club, how it was founded, how you came to be the chair, etc.? Um, it was going uh, for a couple of years before I got involved. Uh, the guys that were running it, were moving out of Northamptonshire and they wanted somebody local to take it over and I just sort of stepped up and I've been doing it ever since. Uh, we hold, we'll try to hold as often as possible monthly meetings or a couple of times a month and we'll hold uh, like a medicated meal and stuff like that. We want to give out like medicated snacks and brownies and whatnot and stuff nice. like that. Yeah. Nice. So we have we have a small group, normally about 20 to 25 people every meet turn up and that we're getting bigger slowly you know what i mean but it, yeah it's nice and we've got a nice group of guys and people that, that, that all come and attend nice little community so yeah quite happy with it nice one nice one it's, it's good that you, you, you've you've managed to keep that community um so how long would you say you've been you've been chair oh, Jesus. um <laughs> i'd say probably about 10 years now something like that maybe a little bit longer mm. how long it's been going now so it was one of the sort of first iteration of the uk csc clubs uh started by greg de hood yeah definitely yeah yeah greg started up the uk csc and yeah and it was uh through greg that yeah greg helped me get all the bits and bobs sorted for the northampton cannabis club nice nice it's a uh, good to see that uh I don't know sort of what it means, but UKCSC's uh, Instagram page has become a lot more active yeah, recently. Back up and running, which is really good. I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, it's um, re- really, yeah, really, really good to see. Um, yeah, yeah, really good. Um, hoping that this will lead to a, a, a renaissance, a, a reinvigoration of kind of the movement of social clubs, because the, the one point prior to uh, the C word, we shan't say, because I can't be asked getting this demo- uh, fucking, not demonetized, uh, deprioritized and fucking shadow banned the c word the pandemic that happened um prior to that uh the, the clubs were really striving we had yeah. sometimes two or three events across the country each weekend constantly stuff going on and then because obviously we all got locked in our homes for a couple of years it just sort of ruined that which is a shame but it's mm. good to see that you know there are more and more groups coming online and that you know people will hopefully again be doing more and more protests and meeting up more and just you know smoking more weed Hell yeah, hell yeah. Uh, yeah, couldn't agree more, couldn't agree more. And I think it's the sense of community as well is something that the club, because we obviously, vendor events and field events have, are still pretty prevalent. There are some teams, shout out to the crews, I'm not going to shout any years out because then anyone when I forget will get annoyed that I didn't shout you out, that is doing doing the work, putting on these 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 events. Um, and they are creating access points, they are creating community, they are creating entertainment and camping events, et cetera. 
but they're still missing the the community element of kind of, of signing up to a, a, a small group and meeting up with those regulars and building and forging bonds and relationships with them that then you know can can it kind of become friendships beyond just mm. around sort of cannabis and i think that's something that we massively need now post the lockdowns because psychologically i think we're all kind of we got used to being separate we got used to just consuming more online media more social media we got used to just occupying our time and busying ourselves rather than planning and and and, and uh planning and to spend time with each other planning to you know have these these places that we can feel safe together uh, i said as cannabis consumers because obviously the clubs create these spaces where people can consume safely they have the the acceptance of other people knowing that they won't be judged for their cannabis consumption or for what what they want to talk about you know it's those kind of community hubs i think are vitally needed now more than ever really yeah definitely people need to start doing more socials and getting out again like it was it's just a shame that you know it couldn't be helped it died down because we had no choice over that mm. but i'm hoping now that yeah people can get out again more especially you know this year we should get out do more events everywhere wherever we can yeah for sure man for sure i think uh while the current whatever home secretary we have and, and the debates going on in their offices about what they're going to do to limit from one week to the next who's in charge who's doing what it's ridiculous it's yeah it's very difficult but there is uh an underlying narrative that is rolling out of the home office and that is this idea of cracking down on protest of you know mass civil disobedience you know kind of what has been the the raison d'etre the kind of motivating thing of the cannabis community yeah they don't want us to do it so i think this year we kind of got to get out there while we can i'm uh due neil woods will be back on the podcast again folks at the end of march and we're going to discuss all of this we're going to discuss what happened with suella braverman with pretty patel uh with the proposed legislation changes where they're at uh what this means and the consequences because um as people involved in this space obviously this is something we should be quite nervous about because the the rules uh outlined in the proposed legislation basically mean that if uh, a protest happens in your area regardless of the subject if you have previously protested another subject within two years the police can come to your house and lock lock you in your house under tag without any prior suspicion these are some of the most draconian most dangerous yeah dude they were talking about like 10 years in prison for organization of, of, of civil disobedient events um so yeah, I'm gonna like I said, we're gonna outline that at the end of March with Neil Woods and really try and understand where we're at, what rights we have, and what they're trying to do, so that we can. Yeah, if this is our last year, we're gonna go out with a fucking bang. Um, <laughs> put it put it that way. Um, but yeah, agree. We definitely need more sort of collective action, and we need more of these sort of social hubs popping up. Um, I've been sort of discussing with a, a local cafe in Durham about the idea of creating another drop in for Durham City Cannabis Club and restarting that. Because again, the same happened to us. We had a, a venue, we were running very well. We've taken over a spot every Tuesday. They had like a, a wonderful, beautiful dojo and a cafe. And we were literally going to be doing like medicated yoga in the dojo. Uh, we had like a wonderful courtyard area. Um, and they were just basically letting us take over and, and just, just run from it as, as a full club and oh. mutually beneficial for, for both parties. We were really building a strong community. And then unfortunately due to the the pandemic i mean durham i think was the second worst city apart from york for shop closures uh, for retail space collapse basically during the first wave of lockdowns and they subsequently went under 
So yeah, we're, we're in discussions with another cafe to potentially uh, build out the yeah, same because it, you get somewhere. Yeah, fingers crossed. Like I said, I think they're quite interested. Uh, what we're trying to ascertain is Durham's police, their current attitude. Uh, for all, obviously, Ron Hogg and Mike Barton, uh, you know, rest in peace, uh, the late Ron Hogg, uh, they did some amazing work kickstarting the checkpoint diversion schemes and everything up here. But our new PCC, or uh, sorry, our new chief constable, uh, or is she P No, she's PCC. Uh, Joe Allen. Joe Allen? Trying to say, I'm trying to read a post or something. Yeah, Joe Allen. Um, she's basically come out and she's exceptionally anti-drug so i think her last three announcements have been uh she was the one who's pushing for nitrous oxide to be scheduled as a drug uh which just isn't gonna happen because of its legitimate use it's just it's too hard too difficult of a thing that they're it's gonna be able to plan anything and everything aren't they really it gives you a tweak yeah and it's just you know it's it's ridiculous yeah, you're allowed sugar alcohol tobacco they three drugs <laughs> or oh, caffeine sorry and was it throm I can never remember the drug that's in chocolate, uh, but yeah, the drug that's in chocolate as well. They're like the 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 five drugs that we're allowed. We're allowed. Do you know I mean? Can you imagine if they banned chocolate? Yeah, we, this is the thing when Theresa May's and bag of chocolate. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. Theresa May during the the lead up to the January twenty seventeen creation of the nov new novel psychoactive substances uh, act. They, they'd not included shit like that. So they'd completely forgotten it. So in the first few drafts, they were going to criminalise uh, caffeine and they were going to criminalise uh, chocolate because they just completely forgot until somebody kind of pointed out, went, look, they're drugs. A drug is a drug is a drug. Legality is irrelevant. A drug is a drug is a drug. And then, ah, oh, fuck, that is psychoactive. It is a drug. We do have to figure that one out. So yeah, it's, they're ridiculous. They're stupid. And then just reactionary. They don't have a clue. And it, does it, it leads you back to this kind of conversation of what are they so scared of? What is wrong? You know, think of festivals every summer. How many tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people take drugs for three, four days in a row and nothing bad happens? And if they want people free thinking, that's all. And just because some substances, you know, they make you look at things differently and they don't want that. They want to control the narrative. They don't want you having ideas for yourself and, and enjoying yourself. They want you doing what they say when they want it. 100%, 100%, because, yeah, if you think about alcohol as a neurological depressant, it, uh, they, they consider it a neurological retardant, but it's potentially a controversial term. Um, but basically, yeah, if you consume alcohol three, four times a week, the way that alcohol works because of your, uh, what's the word, metabolism and everything else, you're slowing your metabolism and you're slowing your neurological processing. So then you're not ever not under the influence of alcohol for all your blood level drops, et cetera, in terms of the effects on neurology and the uh, the wider, uh, well, the entire system, you're still having the, the continual consequence of that. So yeah, they're quite happy with that because then all you're thinking about is, you know, Monday, Tuesday, you're hung over Wednesday, you're like, oh God, it's the longest day. Thursday, yes, going out drinking tomorrow. I think it's so fucked up on Friday that it's, it's Sunday that you sleep sleeping through. It's just it's that cycle, and that's what they want. And this is why, in my opinion, I think cocaine is allowed to, to be as prevalent as it is because it's an egoic enhancing substance. It makes you very selfish. This isn't to speak again, you know, I'm for the liberation and access of all drugs. I don't think the criminalizing of any substances is, is, is useful. I think cocaine, same as anything else, is, is a useful substance in the right context, but can lead to abuse. Coca ethanol, so a cocaine taken in conjunction with alcohol, creating coca ethanol, not good. Really, really, really not fucking good. It kind of is the worst aspects of, of both, but it's that kind of egoic 
kind of me, me, me attitude. They're happy with that system. That makes you an exemplary consumer. You're then going to be thinking, yeah, me, me, I need to get a new shirt to go out. I need the new this, new that, new this. I need to go and spend money for my haircut. I need to go spend money for this. I need to go this, this. You're, you're a good consumer. You are good within that system. But then the guy that's on the weekend taking a couple of trips of acid in the woods and then decides, actually, no, I'm going to move off grid and I'm going to grow my own food. And I'm they're removing themselves from that economic system and they're becoming an obstruction to to yeah, the the not being a good cog are they exactly exactly and this is the, the same of most substances and this is what i fear is happening with with psychedelics at the minute so we're seeing obviously um actually i'm gonna shout out my own shit here because it's my show i can do what i want uh, i've just relaunched the simple life uh website and i'm from uh mid-march doing a new blog series alongside the relaunching of last week in weed where i'll call the trip report where i'll be exploring uh sort of psychedelic culture in the emerging industry and so, yeah, part of that is, is I'm basically going to be working on a protracted blog series, exploring three stories from the previous week or the previous fortnight. And just with this theme of looking at this co-option that's happening in the instead of them going, oh, you, no, you're right. These things do have medicinal benefit and you should be allowed to go and pick mushrooms in Wales and camp in the hills and go bathe under a waterfall and have a wonderful trip and beautiful session and deal with your depression that way. To go, no, 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 no. You have to come to our clinical environment, our very hygienic, very horrible the smell of hospitals, uh, that kind of, you know, the, the imagery you've got. And they go, oh, yeah, we'll throw some iconography and some cushions down and you can come and trip with us. And it's like... So far removed from nature. Yeah, so that's not what most people want. Most people, they, they want to get away from the, the, the constructs, the straight lines, the fucking geometry that is the designed world of man go back to nature of all of those waves and bumps and do you know what i mean the the natural forms that in and of itself is i think quite cathartic for the human spirit then when you include these entheogenic compounds and then you include other people that bonding and connection that very animalistic sort of uh experience i don't think can be replicated in a clinical setting i just don't think it can very very, very powerful thing and the thing is they don't want people hanging around together and having the whole community thing. That's why they've done so much over the last few decades to split up communities because when people are together, they're stronger. You know? yeah. So they're doing the old divide and conquer. And, and you know, they seem to be succeeding for the most part. But, mm. you know, I think that we can get back to how we should be. You know, it's just mm. there's enough of us out there that have got the right state of mind. So I think, you know, eventually, you know, it, it, should, it should all be all right. Fingers crossed. I think yeah, we're seeing sort of a generational shift. I um I saw somebody break down something on YouTube the other day, quite interestingly. I can't remember the name of the book, um, but it was basically a concept of a guy who wrote this book in '97, and he was talking about how we live in eight-year cycles, and they're broken down into four of these. He used an obscure word that I can't remember what it was, but for these four different sections, and so within them there is this uh there is a high. Then there is a kind of a leveling, then there is a demise, and then there is like kind of like a revolution sort of thing of, of every 80 years we move through these. And I think at the minute, as you said, it's it started basically with Thatcher. Th- Thatcher over in the UK, over in the States, was Reagan and Reaganomics, and it was the deregulation of industries. It was the 
unleashing of capitalism, the, the, the vehement beast upon the people, and it has been feasting upon our communities ever since. If it doesn't make profit, it is not important. Look at what they did to, to all like the Showstar centers. Look at what they did to fucking uh, youth centers. As a kid, man, I remember we had the Yuffie in Chesley Street was fucking on fire. You go down there and everyone up to the age of like 16, 17 was there because you get away with fucking smoking in there. People had have the little hip flasks or whatever. You could get away with smoking a bit. You hash out back. You know what I mean? There'd be places to go play football, there'd be fucking music, there'd be a tuck shop, there'd be spaces for people to be, to occupy young people to be. And guess what we weren't doing? Getting fucking harassed by the cops on the street because we, we were in a safe fucking space. Yeah. And so, yeah, the same with the miners, with then the the, the increased um, emphasis on class warfare that, that came coupled with this this new neoliberalistic system. That, yeah, I think it is. We're, we're now falling out or into that kind of last revolutionary quarter, which means we're leading into the high. So then I'm, I'm hoping that politically in this country, we kind of do what even the conservatives are talking about now and go, all right, we kind of fucked it. Let's privatize, let's uh, renationalize a load of shit. Let's figure it out, put some money back into the system and, and try and reinvigorate the economy via the people instead of via the corporations, because all they'll ever do is squander their 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 investment and fucking seek to to profiteer from the destruction of the our communities yeah we'll only ever get breadcrumbs though it's all just token gestures isn't it really a lot of it they don't you know they don't ever do anything unless it benefits themselves and it's you know yeah all they that... want to give us is just breadcrumbs and then sometimes they'll sugarcoat those breadcrumbs so you think they're extra nice and then that's that yeah or they'll show you the loaf they'll trick us they'll go go follow the loaf follow the loaf and then you get to the end of it and they break, they cut it up and put it in their soup and their satay. And then we're just like, well, please, sir, can I have some more? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's my fear for what's sort of happening with, like I said, cannabis and psychedelics in general, of just this co-option of drugs, of rather than them going, no, 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 you're right, you people should be allowed to do what you want within reason. If you break the law under the influence of these drugs, we have laws for that. If you get in your car and, and you, you, you're driving with fucking drugs, driving without due care and attention, drive dangerous driving, etc., we have ways to then charge those offences. You know, if you're then producing a load of drugs and fucking selling them for profit, that's a tax problem. Do you know what I mean? If you're stealing the electric, that's a theft problem. There are enough, just stop the criminalization of the drugs themselves and allow responsible, reasonable consumption, trade and and, and social use. You know, we, we figured that out. We've seen it at the events for years that, you know, if somebody pulls a whitey because they, they've, they've had too many edibles or whatever else, the people around them are there to support them. You know, that's what you're doing at. Yeah, and the, even the people that are selling them are going to be like, oh, mate, careful, don't eat all of that. They'll be giving harm reduction advice while they're providing the product. You don't get that from bars. You know, bar, bars, it's illegal they to sell. They make money from locking people up, though. So why they continue to make money from locking people up, you're always going to get it. So it's... Mm. same with the tag, all the tag system and the judiciary and all the rest of it. It still runs as a for-profit system, ultimately, when you look at it, for all it's uh, funded by the uh, the government there are still people making good wages to lock people in cages for a couple of plants mm. or for a baggie of whatever miscellaneous powder. It's such an absurdity. It really is. Mm. Frustrating. The thing is, it's a, it's a phase that we've got to go through as a society. It's just a shame that we have to be experiencing it, you know? Mm. But, you know, in a hundred years time, they'll look back at that and go, Really? Really, was that was that loud? What the fuck, you know? But it's you mm. know we've got to go through it to get to there, I suppose, don't we? 
Yeah. But we're in a better position now than what we were 20 years ago or 30 years ago. I mean, the fact that you can, you know, you can get cannabis on prescription now and it actually looks like nugs and smells all right, you know, it's, it's, it's a big step forward, you know, so. Yeah, you're exactly that. I mean, basically since the early 90s and the creation of kind of uh, licensing for low, uh, low THC cannabis cultivation in the UK, so-called Echoes Hemp, um, there has been this kind of cascade. Obviously, then when California came on board, we had a royal commission in 96, 97, I think it was, um, basically recommending that, you know, we explore cannabis as a potential therapeutic, that we look at uh, the criminalization of it. That then obviously led to the 2001 kind of conversation of David Blunkett um, changing the law, which eventually came into act in 20, 2004. But then obviously under... So Jackie Smith was Home Secretary under Gordon Brown in 2009. Uh, so I was like weed reading something in my head there. Um, in 2009, upped it back back to a B. But other than that, that blip of going back up, yeah, generally, if you look at it over time, the number of people incarcerated, the uh, measure of the like the level of severity of the punishment as well is generally coming down. Um, and yeah, as you say, the, the prescription system, I actually wanted to get your thoughts on this because I know that you signed up quite early on um, to the script system and uh, yeah, sort of have alluded to not having the best of experience. So I wanted to just sort of get get your, yeah, uh, quite, your opinion on it. It's a couple of years ago now. It was just after they, they started doing the prescriptions and I managed to get myself a prescription from a fibromyalgia and tendonitis. And the the plant material that I got through was not the best quality, but it looked like weed. You know, it was it was not the freshest smelling, and I've I've still got it to be honest. I didn't really use it because I just wasn't impressed with the quality. But having seen the quality of the stuff that's coming out now, it has improved, and the price has gone down, and it seems to be getting easier for people to be able to get the prescriptions, which is a good thing. Mm. You know, so you know, I was just impressed that I managed to get something that actually you know that looked and smelled like weed i suppose but it's you know it, it has changed an awful lot in, in, since i got my prescription and i only did uh one month prescription i couldn't afford to to mess around with it again but mm. it's you know it has got cheaper but it's just it's not for me it's you know if some people want to go down that line then that's fine and that they can do it mm. but it's not really for me because it's just i just the, the variety and being able to choose rather than being told I think maybe it's, it's when I got it, I couldn't, they couldn't tell you what the strains were. I know now that they can tell you what the strains are and stuff like that. But when I got it, we weren't told it was just red this or blue that. And, and that was it. So, yeah, it was, it was an odd period, wasn't it? Where they were, they were trying to hide. So they were selling like green crack, but going, Oh, this is X, Y, Z. You can go off and grow it yourself or some other company couldn't start. I don't know. It was weird. I think it was just almost to remove because the system, it's like the, medical establishment kind of looks at the cannabis culture and goes what the living fuck is this <laughs> they can't get their heads around it they just can't obviously part of that is is ignorance in terms of their own knowledge base on the endocannabinoid system on phytocannabinoids endogenous cannabinoids etc and another part of it is the trains about nowadays that's the thing back in you know when i was a kid you got a bit of northern nights you got some purple haze a bit of pot of gold or some jack here and there. Pot and of gold. Now, oh. But now it's just, there's just so many strains available 24 mm. 7. It's, yeah, it's it's ridiculous, really. It's just too much choice sometimes because it's just like, well, what do you want? You know, it's, 
Mm. There's something there for every possible need or consequence, you know? Mm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. We're, we're at a time where we've never had more choice, but we don't know how to choose. Yeah. I think that that's that's the problem. It's interesting. I think Tesco did a, a psychological evaluation. Uh, now I've completely fucked that sentence. Try this again. They did an evaluation of their store layouts and the number of products based on sort of psychological factors. And what they found was a concept that I'm going to miss name, but basically the, the paralyzation of choice is that if they gave consumers too much choice, say they went in and went, oh, I want some salad cream. And they went up to salad cream. It's like 14 salad creams. There's fuck, I don't know. So they then just talk themselves out of salad cream. Do you know what I mean? So what they've done is they've now gone, all right, we need a diet one, the main brand one, maybe our own brand one, and that'll do. Yeah, the, 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 yeah, they're reducing the choices because it increases the likelihood of you then purchasing something because then you're not stuck with this idea of going, well, I might regret not getting the right one. I might, and that's the same sort of thing I think is happening with with cannabis. Now, if you look on sort of resources like, is it Medbud or Medibud? I'm not very good with the UK websites. I need to look at uh, look at them a bit better. Um but the yeah the uh, those resources they can show you the lists of what what is available of the different products. But again, it's hard to then choose. You, you're basically looking at it going, oh, that sounds nice, mm. because the mechanism by which the cannabis flower works really is the synergy of the the cannabin the main cannabinoids, the minor cannabinoids, terpenes, flavonoids, and to a lesser and certain degree, some of the other chemical constituents. But it seems to be predominantly the um, ratios between these different things that give the effect. And yet they're still not prescribing in this country with talking about flavonoids or, or terpenes. It's literally on a percentage of CBD to THC. So then some people are going, oh, well, I had a 20% THC, 1% CBD last time and say it was, uh, I don't know, fucking Girl Scout cookies. And then the next one, they went, oh, that's a 21. And they went and got like a super lemon haze like two very very different reactions from that because of the terpene profile and the consumer is then going to go well that, that's not working for me not understand why obviously the people that came to the prescription system from the legacy industry and maybe have that education would know that but even still there's a lot of cannoisseurs that i know of people that really enjoy their cannabis that still are not thinking about well how do i know what i like they just kind of remember well i like this so much variation is you know it's a natural plant and from plant to plant, even from areas on the plant, it all, it can vary so much. Mm. You know, there is no sort of standardization of it, is there? So it's, it's a but, difficult one to try and replicate as a, as a like a normal medicine. Mm. I suppose it's, yes, yeah, she'll, she'll never fit into that standardized kind of model of modern farm, pharmacopoeia. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. So if you make a point, so where we get with like cuts and things like that of different, what I suppose is technically called a chemovar, so you have like a cultivar of cannabis could be described as say Girl Scout cookies. And then say a chemovar could be described as thin mints or what are the other cuts of Girl Scout? There's like several cuts of Girl Scout cookies that obviously became quite prevalent and they then got bred into various other things. Um, so they're going to have different slight uh, responses from the individual. But even if, as I always say on this podcast, if you and I sit and smoke the same bud from the same plant, we could end up with two very different reactions based yeah. on our endocannabinoid system and sort of the deficits and, and uh, excesses within our yeah, system we, at we, any we given moment. We have our own individual needs and requirements, don't they? So it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's going to affect us all differently. Yeah. So I think in terms of doctors prescribing cannabis, I think we're doing it wrong. I think we need to look at the Californian system 
uh in 96 prior to or around the signing of two prop 215 um because that was basically the doctors you'd go into the doctor and the doctor would authorize you to consume cannabis you could then go to a dispensary a, a medicinal i hate the term a medical marijuana air quoting there for my listeners dispensary and you could just go and buy a product and i think that that's the difference is the people that know the weed should be the ones distributing and in, in, in charge of the weed the doctors should be looking at your system your healthcare records and going do you qualify under the under the current legislation? And are there any contraindications I should be worried about? Are you taking any other medications? Do you have a history of psychosis? Do you have? And that's probably about all the things I would I would actually seek to ask. You know, what I mean, if you then hit the qualifying for that, not many, not many questions you need to ask. Once you once you qualify through the legislation, there's very little they need to ask. Mm-hmm. I had an interact interesting interaction with a, a prescribing physician but only a few weeks ago discussing uh, cultivation in which they said, well, I don't need to know information about if my patients cultivate. So there's no reason for me to document that. So it's, it's good that some of them know that to not over record and not because obviously a lot of the patients want to be honest with, with the, the prescribers. Um, but they're trained around medicine as in the pursuit of the, uh, understanding illness and overcoming that in, in the human body so yeah they should have some education on on cannabis and how it sort of affects but in terms of then having to learn about cultivars chemovars uh how the synergy of different things well i don't think they should be they don't need that much information i think do you know what i mean it should be the the distributors the the pharmacies and the the distribution networks they're the ones that should be far more clued up because that's basically what's happening is the doctors are giving a recommendation based on the products that are available to them through the dispensaries they work with. But they're then just best guessing. They're going, oh, I've got a, a patient who had depression. Who's, you've got depression, so I can give you the same thing he's got. Like, there's no central data set. There's no, like, there's a, a, I can't remember what the hell they call it. It's like the Pharmacopoeia Encyclopedia or something. It's a huge fucking book, and it's got basically all of the drugs in that are, that are available on license or off-licensed, uh, off-label prescribing. And... Yeah, cannabis, you, we can't put cannabis in that because it'll treble the size of the fucking book because as we were saying about the different types of the chemovars, cultivars, et cetera, it just needs to almost be an acceptance that cannabinoids can aid with these conditions or cannabis can exacerbate these conditions. Once we know them, yeah, that that's your thing really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's not a complete cure-all, but it does, it certainly helps for a lot of people for a lot of mm-hmm. things and it does need to be looked at properly. And then Into, it's taken yeah. you know, a lot more seriously than what they happen for sure man for sure exactly that i'll echo that it's it's not a panacea it's not a cure-all um but it's interesting that there is a school of thought slowly coming out of well the the academic paper i read on it uh i think it was from yeah it was an israeli university and obviously israel are quite ahead of the game in terms of what they're doing with mapping the human genome and cannabinoids and, and trying to work out ways of identifying what terpenes sequestered terpenes cannabinoids minor cannabinoids would work in conjunction with your system and there the paper was basically using an analogy of a vitamin deficiency which i think is a brilliant way of looking at this that we're all deficient in uh uh our systems are deficient in effectively like a vitamin it's yeah it's like it's like scurvy 
So then you eat a load of oranges and shit and you consume vitamin C, you don't then get scurvy. So I think a lot of the conditions and ailments that we're seeing that have come out, come into the human population in the past 150 years since the demonization of cannabis. You know, you've got to think back even in this country, gruel that we used to serve to orphans, that was ground up cannabis seeds. Do you know what I mean? That's a, that's a complete protein in, in cannabis, in cannabis seeds. So- dietary and lifestyle change in the last 100 years become mm-hmm. a lot more sedentary. We've now, again... It's down to the choice. It's like you go into a supermarket and there is so much choice of food and stuff in there that you can either make yourself or is ready made for you if you haven't got the time. And it's just, yeah, it, the, the dietary st- lifestyles and, and everything has changed and we need to sort of get back to a bit more naturalistic, you know, not necessarily eating as many meals a day that we eat because you don't need to eat three meals a day, really. We, it, it's all constructed breakfast and things like this yeah. and the three meals a day was eating constructed as part of eating. yeah yeah it was, it was constructed as part of shift work it was a part of again of us being good little cogs of going no you get up eat your food so then you can work for us and then when you get tired you take your break you eat your food you work for us again then you go home you eat your food yeah you, you take care of the small tasks you need to to maintain your home you go to bed then you get up and you do it all over again and uh, just yeah, the, the system is with digitalization with the way that the internet is and moving into web 3.0 and, and decentralization of various systems. I think we've hit the end of globalization and people are recognizing that we can live in very different ways than we ever have as, as a species. And that's really shaking up the, the traditional economy, you know? Yeah, life, life has, it's weird how it is, it's completely artificial now really, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, we don't even follow, most people don't even follow the natural cycle, sun up, sun down, because so we sit there with our lights on, watching telly or looking at your phone or whatever till wee hours or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and so yeah, you're completely out of the natural cycle, and it does have a knock-on effect, and it? it's, it's not good. Yeah, so I think one of the things that then people maybe assume or, or think of why cannabis is this panacea why it helps so many people is i think this grounding effect mm. that it, it it they describe it as a, a metacognitive inducing agent so that basically you consume cannabis and you you start thinking about how you think so we've all had that experience you've all seen somebody at a house party they look baked off the face like locked into the couch they're going through every mistake they've ever made they're fucking thinking about when they were 14 and what they said to that girl at the bus stop everything is going through their fucking brain because it's it's a good that's a good thing that you're finally catching up with yourself as you say we few of us ever allow boredom ever try to facilitate a time where we're not doing something and we fucking need that the human brain needs to just catch up with all of the other thoughts all of the other things so that you can kind of work out and address where you go sometimes doesn't it? it just needs to sit there and relax and chill and sort of shit out yeah, and you need to, so you can look up and see where you are and go, holy fuck, I'm in my 30s. When the hell did this happen? Do you know what I mean? Very few people do that. They have their midlife crisis, maybe a few existential crises on birthdays sometimes or major life events, but then they never really do anything about it. They fall straight back into the old patterns and they end up living the same way for decades, whereas cannabis is a metacognitive-inducing agent or you know psilocybin-containing mushrooms, DMT, uh, fuck, even to a certain lesser degree, salvia and various other compounds like that they force this kind of i suppose the modern language now is we're saying that it ceases the action of the default mode network or what they used to call it ego death so you're just you you who you think you are and that little yeah yeah, yeah i'm running through your life and telling yourself all that shit that stops and you actually get to be present 
and observe everything. And for a lot of people, that's terrifying. For some people, that's psychosis inducing, or as they, in their terms, they would say it's psychosis inducing. When it's it's not, it's a fractulation of your consciousness in a way that you're supposed to be able to pause and be hopefully using steps. Condition to think, though, isn't it? Because yeah. psychedelics changes the way that you think and what you think you can see is real and stuff. A lot of people can't handle that altered perception, mm. so it, it does, you know, freak them out a bit. Yeah, it's the setting setting as well, which is what I was going to say is is vitally important. That yeah, if you're going to, I'm going to go eat five grams of mushrooms and run around this festival. It's like that might be a difficult experience for you, especially if it's your first time doing five grams. Mm. You want to go and do that in the woods or whatever by yourself, or, or in a home or with a trip sitter or with a friend that again is not necessarily qualified as a trip sitter but understands what the fuck to do. Mm. You've prepared for those eventualities. You've got to go in understanding not necessarily the risks but the con yeah the potential consequences if you really fuck up in those those situations and again it's about that responsibility the government doesn't want us to have that that ability to be responsible they say we can go out and get as drunk as we want on the fucking high street and, and act accordingly and that's fine and normalized but yeah we want to go into the woods you know like i was saying before you it around take some mushrooms no you can't do that yeah and it's it's mental like one of the best sort of experiences I've, I've had with mushrooms was was going with a group of people picking them camping you know we dried out some mushrooms for the next day's eating we had some in a tea over the evening and yeah, picking, it, it's all part of the therapy though isn't it and the experience yeah. itself getting out there mm-hmm. in the wild you know in amongst nature and just you know i, I love it myself you know it's great hundred percent, man. And that it's yeah. It's I think that's what we're missing is the deliberate drive to be in nature. You know, it's 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 odd. I, I sometimes still get it where I'm walking through the woods and like you pass somebody and I kind of feel like they're thinking I'm suspicious, like I'm doing something wrong. Like should I like as if I had a dog or whatever? There's your justification. But mm. then people just out in nature and shit. Sometimes people get a bit like yeah, standing there staring at a tree. People yeah, are like, like, right. What's what's wrong with him? Is he all right? Yeah. yeah, but I think it's just normal behavior, is it? But yeah, yeah, like I said, if you're there with a dog or whatever, it's perfectly fine, you know. It, yeah. it, it should be normalized. I mean, last uh, last spring when I went camping in the uh, the forest in Hampstead for a week, and I, I built up a huge like campsite, you know, made it all like wooden fucking fences, been a big lean to, slept outside for a week. Uh, I took like mushrooms one night, I took MDMA one day, and this guy appeared walking his dog and he cut through and came, came into the woods. And I had this moment of like panic, and then I just kind of went. I'm just gonna tell him. Oh, I'm uh, I'm I'm on drugs, sort of thing. <laughs> Explain the situation. And he went. Oh, that, that's cool. I used to go to the raves back in the day. We had this probably like fucking hit it off, and in the absolute middle of the fucking like you're literally talking like 20, 30 minutes away from a house of of anybody inhabiting in the deep part like of this woods. Like-minded folk, always in the right areas. Yeah, we just bumped in. And I was just like, you know, I want to be honest with this guy because I didn't want him to think, you know, I'm pin-eyed or whatever, and I'm a bit. He should be worried. Mm-hmm. I was like. No, I'm doing this thing of like it's it's all therapeutic. I, I come out to the woods, and what I do is I, I I detox from technology. I bring a book, you know. I cook all my own meals, you know. You fucking everything on an open fire, and and he was yeah, get yeah, it nice completely, thing. get it. Nice. There's there's something powerful about, it, especially like choosing to analyze your own consciousness as well as well i think is quite a, a brave thing for individuals to do it does take fortitude to want to go maybe i'm wrong maybe there are certain aspects of my personality or my life or the way that i'm living that i need to address that's even thinking that is a brave and bold action but then taking action upon that to well you don't necessarily have to go into nature but uh, it's that's what i always advocate to people because it it reconnects you with something beyond your trauma, beyond your conditioning, beyond your experience. You are more that tree than you are the house you live in. Mm. 
Do you know what I mean? And it's once you can grab that again, you can recognize the the joke of all of this. You can understand that this isn't life. This isn't the yeah. There's, there's, there's more out there than just what they tell you and what's on the telly or on the radio or whatever. You know, it's turn all that off and just go out, go camping, get out in the wild. Yeah, man. You know, watch the sunset, watch the sunrise, you know, and everything in between. Well, like you were speaking of before, you then start sleeping with the circadian rhythm. So when I was in the woods, when it was starting to get dark, there's not much more can I do. I can't go and forage, so I've got to make sure I've got all my firewood ready. I've got to make sure that, you know, I've I've got water or whatever down from uh, from the river and I've boiled off what I need to and I've prepped. And once you've done that, you, you've, you've just got the darkness. And I'd, just, you'd, I'd read a book by some candlelight and head torch for a bit and then you'd be asleep by eight o'clock. Yeah, it's, it's, it's mad, isn't it? Yeah, and you don't feel like you, you're being you know, forced. I always, I always sleep better when, when I'm out camping and stuff like that. Anyway, again, because all the fresh air and stuff like that mm. and the, the different noises, is it's a lot quieter. It's nice. Mm. It's just, yeah, I love it, man. Yeah, same. It's like barefoot as well. I've got barefoot for the week. And by the end of it, my back feels amazing. Like all of the muscle, because we walk on the our shoes and on these flat surfaces and it's just not good for our posture. We're designed to our feet and the muscles in the bottom of them to mold across the ground as we walk and move. So being able to do that back into nature and then you're sleeping on, because I always get a, just basically build up the base of the forest and then I've got like a yoga mat sort of thing and a bit of plastic material and then sleep on top of that and like build like a lean to over it. But that is just, yeah, it's, it's so good for for, 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 the, for the muscles. You first few days, I'm always a bit, uh, but then once I get loose into it, I'm waking up and like jumping out of bed. You know what I mean? You, you're awake as soon as the light is out, you're full of energy, you're full of life. It's yeah. I can't advocate it enough. I really can't, which I think uh, is a perfect segue onto Burrowfest. Uh, which is uh, obviously a multi-day camping event. Um, quite interested to hear about the location this year. I do hope there's trees because my favouriteest memory of Burrowfest was the one uh, where you had the sort of the stage in, in the trees and we had the axe thrown. That was in uh, Bedford. Mm. Yeah, that was Bedford. That was really nice. We had the nice woods there. Yeah, that was, was that was lush. Yeah, that was really nice, man. But yeah, we have got trees. We're on a, a 40, uh, we've got 40 acres within the walled gardens of a, an old uh, country estate. The main camp yeah, that... home is no longer there, but all the grounds, the walls and everything is all still there. And some of the trees there are like two to three hundred years old, maybe older. There's some real big beauties there. They're lovely. Do you know what I mean? So and we've got a, a lovely tree circle where we're going to have uh, like the, the campfire area in there. So you can nice. chill in amongst the trees and stuff. A bit similar to how we had it in, in Bedford for the second mm. one. Beautiful, beautiful. I can see it's the space makes it as we've just obviously discussed uh being able to be around the trees and around and in nature it's it's just a different sort of uh a different sort of setting and different sort of nice, environment nice isn't connection. It? it's a nice connection mm. and it's a it's a, like i say it's a really lovely venue that we've got uh it's completely secure you've got a huge wall that runs around the whole estate you know there's it's 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 lovely it really the people are going to love it when they get there and you know i'm going to Stay, stay over the night there before we have the event myself just to get ready for it and that because it's, it's lovely i want to spend as much time as possible there it's great ah sounds uh, definitely i think uh, i might come down early as well then so it's uh it's july 14th to july 17th isn't it is that correct 17th of july in uh overston in northamptonshire nice nice well obviously uh for anyone that missed that we'll include details and ticket links uh and stuff below uh so what else are you planning sort of for, for this year's event what can people expect 
Uh, obviously, we've got glass blowing, we've got uh, arts and crafts, we've got some uh, bushcraft skills, uh, people that are going to be there as well offering lessons. Uh, we can have our art boards back. We've got uh, people speaking uh, on different subjects from medical cannabis, psychedelics, so on and so forth. Uh, we, we've got all sorts going on this year. We're going back to our roots, to how we were in our first events that we put on. Nice, nice. Excellent. I think that's, again, it's it's important because it was always about community and about the overall experience. And I think that's what made Borofest such a boutique, boutique and sort of real unique event yeah i was that's what i was trying to go about with my brain there it was literally like not different no that's not right <laughs> um you know yeah exactly it's it's something in, entirely different and i think um in the context of sort of the other field events that we're seeing in the uk i think it's it's more a, a representation of the overall yeah because sort of yeah, it's got everybody from different sort of vibes and is where different tribes and, and backgrounds um so yeah re really excited to see so how the event goes down this year. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it as well. Uh, not sure what the fuck that was. Uh, equipment, gremlins, as usual. Uh, what were we talking about? Butterfest. Um, so you were just saying, obviously, it's this it's wonderful sort of sealed, what is it, 44 acres in a walled garden sort of thing? Yeah, it's lovely. Great North Hampshire countryside. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it's lovely green, nice and quiet. And you're away from everything. It's like a nice little oasis. Sounds lush, sounds lush. How, how much are uh, camping tickets for people? They are £60 per person. So whether you come in a camper van, a motorhome or a tent, it's 60 quid per person for the weekend camping. You can turn up on Friday from 12 o'clock and then leave Monday at 12 o'clock so you get the full weekend for your money. Nice, nice. Sounds good, sounds good. Uh, so you said the... Uh, oh wait, I think you said this prior to the recording. This sort of water on site, so what the facilities like for? Because obviously, quite yeah, a few. Got, uh, we've got showers and toilets on site this year. Uh, we've got generators providing power as usual. Uh, we've got glass zone. We've got a music area with our usual uh, Borofest DJs, and we've got a few extra surprises that we'll begin releasing in the next week or two as well. We've got a lot of work has gone into into doing it this year. Uh, we've got quite a few announcements that we're going to be making over the next couple of weeks regarding it, just to sort of get people, you know, more interested in it and, and show people what we're more about and that. So, mm. yeah, it's it's something that as a team we we put an awful lot of effort into. And we're really looking to putting Borofest back on again, as it was before all the lockdown and all the silliness that happened with everything. And yeah, excellent, excellent. It, yeah, needs needs to happen. We need that kind of. Uh a reset or a restart to kind of where we where we were because uh, yeah there's just that blip the whole blip of the the lockdowns and the pandemic and all of that shit and i think yeah we're collectively all starting to come out of it and now yeah it's a case of rebuilding and shaping that that future we want and it sounds like Burfest is going to be quite a, a weekend for that so yeah quite a lot of tantalizing uh sort of announcements coming in the uh, the next sort of few weeks so yeah, obviously, uh, what sort of music can people expect? People that maybe don't know the Burfest DJs, what sort of uh, tunes do they sling? Uh, we've got everything from drum and bass to uh, disco, a bit of hip hop, a bit of reggae, but a bit of everything really for to cater for all, all sort of all sort of tastes and and likes and that. So yeah, we're a community festival, so we listen to what people want and we try and get DJs and acts to 
to fulfil their musical needs for the weekend. So, yeah, nice. we'll be releasing uh, we'll be releasing the names of some of the acts in the next couple of weeks. We're just getting all the little finer details sorted. But yeah, it's it's going to be a great weekend with great 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 music, great foods, great everything really. So we're looking forward to putting it on for everyone. Awesome, awesome. So what what times does music go on till? Uh, music starts from about 10, 11 a.m. And we've got a license until midnight for music. But then after that, we will have uh, low level like acoustic music playing on and stuff in the chill out area for the fire pits and all that. So and we've got fire dancers as well and a few other acts to go on during the night. We're looking at getting a cinema sorted out so everyone can sit there in their sleeping bags, have a big chill out watching films, popcorn and, and cool. chilling under the stars. So, yeah. Awesome, awesome. Uh, so with the cuisine, uh, obviously you're saying you're sort of community festival, so you listen to the people. Quite a few people these days are vegan and vegetarian. Uh, we have so a, full, a full range of uh, vegetarian and vegan food uh, vendors there. Uh, we also have uh, stuff for the meat-eating guys as well. So we've tried to cater for every possible need that we can, but obviously we can't cater for everything, but we've tried our best to get as much food in as we can, and we've listened to people's comments from previous years about the limitations and stuff like that, that we've had with food vendors and stuff. So, yeah, we've tried to correct that, and hopefully this year we've got that sorted and people will see that when they come in. Excellent, excellent. Uh, yeah, sounding very promising, sounding very promising indeed. Uh, trying to think of what else uh, people might be interested in knowing about the event. Um, so tell us about sort of glassblowing, because that's obviously traditionally been uh, one of the key areas of, of Yeah, Borough Fest is, it's a, way I say it, it's a community arts and craft festival, and it's for people in the cannabis community that can do stuff to come and say, look, this is what we can do, and to show people. So we have the glass blowing, and we have various other arts and crafts there. A couple of years ago, we had like a leather worker there who's doing leather craft lessons. We've, we've got uh, bushcraft lessons this year where you can make like a, a spoon. Uh, you can do, we taught how to do friction fire, and various other little camping uh, associated things that you'd need to know if you were camping out in the wilds, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, probably a little bit of foraging lessons as well. We're trying to be as, as, as trying to have as many things to do as possible, rather than people just sitting there going, "Well, I'm bored now." Do you know what I mean? So we've got interactive artwork where you can go along and you can paint what you want on the walls, and then they'll be used as decoration for for Borofest uh, next year. Do you know what I mean? So it'll be part of the festival in the ongoing years. We've got the the art boards from the second event that we'll be having up as well. And yeah, it's there's it just going to be quite a lot to do. It's not just sitting in the field getting stoned. Like I say you can have you know lessons. You can do glass blowing lessons as well if that one if that's what you want to do. They're uh, sixty pound a lesson, and that takes about an hour. If it's any longer, then we can sort out stuff. So yeah, there's going to be quite a bit to do really. <laughs> yeah, it sounds it sounds it. Hmm, excellent, excellent. Um. I think what else people might ask, are there any sort of group discounts? Do you do any concessions for anything or anything like that? Or is it just 60 quid across the board for tickets? Uh, if you do a group of 10 tickets, we can uh, offer a 10% discount. And they just need to get in touch with us, let us know what groups want to come along and we can sort things out. We can sort out the email address for people to get in touch. And, okay. Uh, if you can answer any questions as a case-by-case case need. 
Excellent. Well, I'll include um, obviously contact details for Borofest below so that anybody, if they want to participate in any which way, if they've got more uh, that they want to give than just sort of attending that are interested in uh, vending, showcasing, etc. Uh, so yeah, anybody, you guys out there, I know quite a lot of you folks uh, run businesses and are participating in the industry in some way. Um, so yeah, do do yeah, come along, get a stool, show us what you what you're about, and show the community what you're about. Yeah, man, for sure, for sure. So hit up the link uh, below, guys, and uh, drop uh, Jim or the rest of the team uh, an email if you're interested. Because uh, yeah, it definitely sounds like it's going to be quite a good event. Yeah, quite a good event. Weekend. And we mm. always have great weather for Borfest, so yeah, it's going to be good fun. So get your tickets and come along and uh, see what we're about. Excellent, excellent. Uh, so yeah, I think we've, we've sufficiently kind of covered uh, Borofest there and given some teasers. I'll do a bit more sort of announcing of the event uh, as we go or toward the event in July. Once you guys have, have released some more names and musicians, etc. I'm sure I'll no doubt bring that up on the podcast. Um, so the Cannabis Social Club, have you got any? I know you've done quite a lot of medicated meals. I've uh, been lucky enough to attend some of your Christmas ones. In fact, uh, the one put on by uh, or cooked by uh, Robin the other year was was fan- mm. truly yeah, fantastic. fantastic. Yeah, we always have a good turnout for those. Mm. Yeah. So have you got... Yeah, uh, we're, gonna, we're looking for a new premises at the moment that we need to expand. So we're looking for new premises. So as soon as we've got new premises, we'll be releasing some more information on meetups and what we're doing in mm. the community around Northampton. Excellent, excellent uh are you actually I'm trying to read the list in my head but i can't is are you guys one of the police forces and regions that are doing the, the checkpoint diversion schemes uh i'm not sure what's that about uh basically if the police stop you with low level possession uh they'll refer you to this kind of service rather than arresting you uh i'm not sure if that's <laughs> going on Northampton. i honestly couldn't tell you so i don't really pay that much attention to what what mm. they're doing so uh i'm not really good i can't really answer that sorry mate no that's all right that's all right i was just sort of curious um because again it's you said a lot of things are tested out in northampton uh be interesting that yeah they should really be testing out yeah i'll but, have a little look see what's going on and get back to you on that one because I'm, I'm just a bit slowly building a, a kind of repository in my brain if nowhere else at this point of kind of the various jurisdictions and what their approaches are because I, like i said there are several parties interested in producing um potentially poli- policies and white white papers about this idea of kind of observational studies where basically a police force just kind of goes la 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 la, la for 18 months and the community can can operate ob- observed and obviously that data is then used to to basically form an opinion or an assessment of what the community needs what is the community you know what do we do what do we, how do we act uh, and then build sort of legislation based on on that assessment. You know what I mean. So, but I think yeah, Northampton would probably make quite a good a good spot to try it as well. Yeah, no, I'll find out, see what's going on there, have a look online, see what they're saying about it. Appreciate, appreciate, man. Uh so would you? It's a bit sort of these questions are a bit all over the place, but I'm just kind of looking through my notes here. Um. You mentioned, obviously, you spoke of before your experience with sort of a prescription um, with the systems having now sort of changed a bit. It's it's obviously quite a bit cheaper. Some clinics are offering like five pound a gram, six pound a gram. Uh, the appointments are generally a lot less, 50 quid, whatever, sort of an appointment. And then you're not kind of forced into an appointment um, where well, you are every three months, I think, or at least after the first three months. Um, 
but you do kind of you can have that period where you can just re re prescribe some of the prescribers are doing it as well for for free in terms of there isn't a cost to get the next prescription um so it's just wondering is anything that's changed currently or do you think there's anything that could change in that system that would entice you personally to be like ah go on then um probably having like a dispensary that you can walk into mm. and actually see a human being rather than talking to somebody down the phone that you may or may not know and somebody that you can then talk to another human being face to face and actually again see the product as well before you buy it is always a big thing because it's nice to see what you're getting rather than taking you know just a stab in the dark and, and, and not knowing what's going to turn up really that yeah. for me it would get me back if I could have like a clinic where you could drop in and go in and go right okay this is what we've got what what do you need blah blah, blah. that would definitely get me back in yeah I think that that's the way they increase the numbers I mean recently it was just revealed that there's been about 20,000 patients privately that have received 90,000 prescriptions so for some people, obviously, it's working. They're happy on that system. And they're going to keep going with it. But there is a drop-off with people like yourself that have sort of experienced one prescription or pardon, um, have only sort of had one interaction with, with the system. And, yeah, I, I think that that is a hell of a point. Most of us that come from the cannabis-consuming space are used to being able to, you know, if you're lucky, you can go to a, a dealer and they'd have two or three different kinds and you'd, you'd – You'd smell it, you'd look at it and go, and you'd be able to tell by the smell which one you're enticed by. Not the name, but the smell. You go and go, that, and that's that. smell and the, the look. And, you know, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. And I think, yeah, that's... Get more hands-on, you know? And again, if being in a centralised uh, space like that, the individuals that would be working there would be experienced and over time become ever more experienced and be able to provide more information. And mm. so, yeah, I think that is... it's unfortunately probably something that is not being pursued at all by the, the current system because they're quite happy with this this by post system the they're happy just shipping drugs in the mail <laughs> this is what I, that's what i couldn't get that when i when i got my prescription i thought because it's a res restricted medicine that it was going to come by like private courier do you know what i mean but the fact that it turned up with my normal postman with my gas bill and i was like oh what's in this box and then i opened it up and i'm like oh right that's it. Yeah. But if I send weed in the post, that's illegal. But yeah. it was it was just a bit weird. I thought it'd be a bit more secure than what it is, you know. Because mm -hmm. stuff does go missing in the post from time to time. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that, that you know. It's just yeah. I just thought for something as the the effort they go to to get it, and and that that it would have been a bit more secure on the delivery. It may have changed now. I don't know. But yeah, when I got mine, it just turned up with my gas bill. And it was a bit like, oh, right, okay. Mm. But then that is sort of normalised, though, isn't it? I suppose that's really should, how it should be, but, yeah. Yeah, it, it does draw... Uh, you're right, it does normalise and help in that way, but it does draw attention to something that is problematic in the legislation that I haven't seen being explained, and that is how the fuck... So your postman walks down the street delivering that to your house. The cops stop him, search him, and find your cannabis on him. He's not licensed or exempt or authorized to carry that product as far as I'm aware. So then the allegation that, again, huge allegedly, uh, that I heard last year when I was trying to go through this from somebody in one of the clinics um, is that the couriers are not informed. 
they're not aware of what they're carrying. And if they are not acting in awareness of what they're carrying, they, they can't be found in possession of it. The law requires mental and physical action or element within the law. You need to be mentally choosing to do the thing and you need to do the thing. Otherwise, it's not a crime. You know, you can be physically have done the thing, but not be cognitively responsible. Therefore, you won't be punished for it. Do you know what I mean? And so I think it's that's my uh, what's extrapolation from the law as it stands, because no one has told me of an exemption in the licensing or in the rules that says that the couriers are then authorized to carry a controlled substance. Yeah, it's yeah, it was like I say it was just a bit shocking. And I think if you which is why we need dispensaries, this is why we need to be able to walk in somewhere like they have in America and like the coffee shops in Amsterdam or Barcelona or whatever, where you can actually walk in interact with people who know what they're talking about rather than a doctor who may have read something online or whatever but they, they've not worked it you know they're like they're not yeah. passionate about it you know they it needs to be people that like like people that are in the community that actually know what they're talking about that people feel comfortable around you know so they can go in somewhere sit down have a look at menu choose the bits and bobs that they need and then medicate safely and yeah it, it we really do need to have that it needs to change no need to drag it out anymore it can be done overnight we've seen that laws can be changed overnight mm-hmm. in the last few years you know it doesn't take years to do shit if people want it done so it, it needs to be done yeah 100 percent. i think yeah it's, it's putting that responsibility and that emphasis and the control back into the community so that most of us don't want or don't need the interference of third-party systems we have a culture, we have a community. We just want an end of criminalization. We just want to be able to, to live without fear, live without a worry of being locked in a cage, having our licenses taken, our jobs, you know, fucking taken from us. And so, yeah, I think the dispensaries is, is a brilliant idea, but I think that's too close in this country to the American system and what happened, because obviously anywhere that MMJ, so-called Air Quotes Medical Marijuana, sort of uh, proliferated in America, it then follows that there is a likelihood of at least the conversation of so-called recreational. And I think that's what they're, they're fearful of. They only want cannabis in this country to be a, a, a medicine, therefore it can be then controlled by them. Medical and recreational, it's the same thing. If you're having a joint to chill out at the end of the day, or whether you're using it for pain management, it's all, it's the same thing. You know, mm. you're using it for a medical reason, you know, so, but yeah, they just need to fucking grow up a little bit and let us get on with a plant that we've enjoyed and we know is safe and relatively okay for the majority of people to use. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And I think that's where sensible heads are getting. Um, But as we kind of spoke of in the preamble uh, and as we've alluded to during this recording, uh, fucking politicians are full of shit. (laughs) So some of them may talk the talk, but they're definitely not walking the walk. Some of them walk the walk, but they're doing it for very different motivations than the the talk that they're talking. So it's all very convoluted and, and difficult to understand what's kind of happening in the space here in the UK. Um, but I think the best thing that any of us can really do is just continue what we're doing. Just trying to build our community. Try and doing it regardless. Yeah. You know, eventually, you know, because if enough of us do it, they can't, you know, they can't criminalise everyone, can they? You know, they'll try, but if enough people are doing enough, enough things, enough meetings enough club meets, enough, you know, whatever. It's People just need to get up and get doing more, mm. you know. Yeah, and just keep, keep, 
and just show that we're not going to be you know told what we can do we're adults at the end of the day we know what's right we know what's wrong you know so we, we shouldn't worry too much and just crack on with it 100 percent. that's what my whole fight is for is just autonomy is the authority to regulate our own actions and to be able to just grow some fucking plants do what we want with it and as long as we don't break any of the laws be left alone and I think that's that's a fair and reasonable thing that a lot of people I've met in this space over the decades, I guess, I've been involved in cannabis overall, they, they want first and foremost. Mm. And the systems of access, I guess, the nuance of legal what legalization or any other models sort of look like um, is almost irrelevant. It's the freedom aspect that people want first. They want, like what they look at America and, and see, but they don't necessarily understand some of the issues of, of the nuance of it. They just see the marketing gimmicks of it. If just everybody's open about their cannabis and cannabis is everywhere and it's cool. And that's what the weed community kind of want. They want to just be open. They want to be accepted by the wider society. And I think that means they don't want to also then be co-opted by it. They don't want to then be sold their culture back to them. They want to be able to proliferate Some of them. All this branded cannabis and all that sort of stuff. And, yeah, it just can get a bit silly, can't it? I mean, when it's it's craft industry and whatever else, and it's branded well, but if it's just marketing and advertising gimmicks and tricks and the manipulation of social media algorithms and, and all the rest of it and the attacking of competition, I mean, some of the bottom business practices going off in America of the big industries versus the craft is, is sinister, is truly sinister. Because they want to be, they want the McDonald's of cannabis. They want the Burger King. They want like three brands of cannabis to run the world. Mm. And that's just not how the plant fucking works, as we've discussed it. Yeah, it just wants to do its thing, you know. Yeah. Be interesting if cannabis being the most ubiquitous global resource is actually the resource that kills globalization. Because it it means that we don't need petroleum anymore. It means that we don't need, you know, lithium-ion cell batteries. It frees people up. It it, free, it it stops us polluting nature unnecessarily. It's you know it really is the future, and people need to you know crack on to that, especially those that are in control, you know, rather than taking the piss. But then they're just trying to do it so they can get whatever they can get out of it before they change the law, and we can have the crumbs again, you know. That's yep. That's the game, and that's where I think frustratingly, say, you know, it's not it's not your pie, mate. This is our pie. You know, we'll give you the crumbs if you carry on, you know, but mm. hopefully one day we'll get there. Yeah, that's the thing of it. They, they've managed to trick us, beguile us and confuse us and manipulate us into a position where they've just walked into our house, into our fucking kitchen, put on our fucking apron and taken over. We, mm. We've we've made the recipe. Yeah, we've, we've hand kneaded it all. We put it in the dish. We're just and they're kicking us out of the way, shoving the fucker in the oven. And when it's finished, they're fucking off with it. And they've, tr- like I said, manipulated us into believing that that's acceptable. That, like, right now, as a grower in the UK, if you're doing it legitimately, as in you're not stealing your electric, you're paying more tax than Google, than Amazon, than Microsoft, than most of the major corporations that fund these political fucking parties and the, the pageantry of this bullshit. You pay uh, tax on your water, on your seeds, on your newts, on, on your fucking everything. grow material, every everything, yeah. You're a better tax, but you don't... Yeah, we don't need more taxes. We already pay those fucking taxes. It, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah. The again, the tax tricking us. Tax. Yeah, it's like no, get get your boot off my fucking throat. Don't make me polish it while it's on there. You know how wet. 
It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's an absurd sort of position we're in, but I can understand why a lot of people are then going, oh, well, actually, yeah, well, let's just air quotes legalise, big L, legalise, let's just whatever. And it's like, well, no, but we have to understand what that means. Because if it doesn't mean that everybody is free, then it's not legal. It's wrong. You've missed the point. You know, cannabis is already legal in this country. It's just unlawful to possess it, cultivate it, trade it without license exemption or, or authorization. It, and we need to get to those base of reality instead of just going, oh, it's a binary of going, because legal is literally defined as making lawful that which was previously illegal. So it's just, we can't, it's cannabis is, is legal. It's, it's our actions that are criminalized. And that's the thing we need to liberate. And we need to have the human rights argument and conversation. We need to protest and we need that unified. Like I say, the fact that, you know, we can get it off scripts now showing that it has changed and they do know that they can't keep lying to us anymore because people, we have access to stuff that shows us, you know, what's going on on the other side of the world. And when people see that they, you know, family members abroad can get treated, yet they can't. People are now asking that question, but you know, mm -hmm. it is getting there, albeit very, very slowly. Yeah, it should have been done twenty odd years ago. Well, it should never been illegal in the first place, but you know, exactly that, exactly that. It's it's a travesty. It's a farce. It is an act of collective social masochism or sadism, rather. Like it's just such a, a self destructive action. And now we're seeing the consequences of this. When you look at like uh, human health, we look at mental health, etc. And head on the planet, and you know, yeah. so many of the damage, things that damage the planet don't need you because they can be made from hemp and not be made in such a damaging way and as polluting to the environment. Yeah, or just we can then through consuming cannabis go. Well, do I really need these things? Do I really want these things? You know, de deprogram ourselves from the. The keeping up with the Joneses that we've been fucking indoctrinated into. The go, oh shit, I need a new iPhone. Oh shit, I need a new car. Oh shit, I need a new. You, does it work? Is it functional? Does it pass in your life? Can you, you you okay with it? Were you okay with it prior to realizing there's a better one? Then if yes, keep fucking using it. It's it's such an, an oddity. This system has got us into this cyclical thing of everything has to be new and consumed and constant when. Actually, holding on to something and looking after something brings with it a different kind of emotional benefit, a different kind of self-respect and self-control and restraint to not just be manipulated by whatever the, the giant billboards, the screens, the quick little five-second advert on YouTube or whatever tells you. I've got hope. It'll change, hopefully. Yeah, me too. Me too. I think we're at a point where just mass censorship and just like would it's just a farce. Everything has become a farce. Nothing is truthful and nothing is based on uh evidence, rational discussion, scientific study or analysis. Everything is just mass marketing gimmicks and just trickery and lies and it's slimy and sleazy and I think everyone's just sick of being covered in it. It's so um... Yeah, joys of, of the modern world we live in with all the information that we have people are actually a little bit thicker because like I say they just believe any old bullshit that pops up on their screen without actually questioning it because for whatever reason they seem to believe that that's not going to lie to them but people on the street mm -hmm. will but, you know it's yeah yeah exactly that 
turn off the fucking news, folks. Go speak to somebody in the street. You will find you have far more in common with the the most widely um, opposite individual to your current personality or social situation than you would ever believe. We are not as different as they trick us into believing the this whole weaponization of it was first the weaponization of political correctness now the weaponization of identity politics is just causing subdivision it's just forcing people into just ever smaller groups where they can't then defend themselves from the other groups when actually if we realized there is no division amongst us there is one group or class of people that are seeking to enslave us and they are the neoliberalistic capitalists and that's not people that are making 100 grand a year or whatever i'm talking about an elite I hate even that term, but a, a very specific group of individuals that have accrued such wealth over generations around the world that they dictate everything, everything. Yeah. So okay, let's let's leave this on some hope. So I think this is a reason why people need to go to Borough Fest to take a few days off this year because the world is shit, but it will get better. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, I've enjoyed this, Jim. Uh, thank you for taking the time i will include like i said links below uh ticket links etc and ways for people to contact uh borough fest if they're interested in well anything uh, showcasing a craft you know teaching a lesson uh speaking etc um so yeah hopefully this oh, will gain, gain some extra traction and like i said if i don't see you before i would definitely see you in a wonderful walled garden down in where do you say it was overston in northamptonshire overston I don't think I've ever been there, so it'll be a new place for the eyes, as they say. So I'll be looking forward to it. Nice one, <clears throat> thank you. No worries, brother. I'll let you sign off now, and I'll do uh, some housekeeping. So yeah, take it easy. I'll be in touch, and uh, yeah, all the best, man. Thanks a lot. Ta-da. Right, peace. Bye. Well, there you go, Fox. That was James Rogers. Uh, goes by Jim. Uh, I enjoyed that conversation. Uh, yeah, I, I thought we covered some good ground. Um, nice to get the opinion of somebody kind of who experienced the prescribing system quite early on uh, and to why they are not sort of interested in continuing with it and what it would take to sort of get them back to it. I think his idea of sort of dispensaries in the UK, I'd be down for that. Definitely down for that. I think that would improve the status quo massively as well as increase the uh, normalization of cannabis uh, to the masses, which again is all for the benefit of all the artificial sides of the cause, as it were, whether you are so-called medicinal or so-called adult use, uh, cannabis is cannabis is cannabis. And anything we do to normalize it, I think, helps as long as it doesn't demonize other sort of consumption or other communities or, you know, subgroups within uh, the culture. But yeah, uh, also check out Burrowfest. I'll include some links below to their website, etc. Uh, doing some really exciting things this year. Looking forward to their announcements, uh, which we'll keep you up to date with here on the podcast. I'll no doubt uh, catch you up when I see them as we go. Um, yeah, one of the things I wanted to talk about this year that didn't get an opportunity to with Jim there was Spanavis. Uh, I'll be out there next week. When's this going out? I think I'll be out there when this is released. Uh, so hello from Barcelona. I hope you're in Barcelona. If you are, come find me. I'll be around until the 14th. Um, yeah, looking forward to this year's event. A lot of uh, my former uh, guests will be there. So it'll be nice to bump into various people. There's some good events kicking off around Barcelona at the various cannabis social clubs. And obviously Spanavis itself is Europe. Uh, largest cannabis sort of celebration expo so yeah everybody that's anybody is sort of going to be around so if you are do enjoy it's going to be a hell of a fucking weekend hit me up we'll have a smoke it'll be good and uh yeah 
if you enjoyed this episode folks please do give us a like share and a subscribe we're getting ever closer to that uh ever closer i know team is too close i didn't release my fingers we are getting ever closer to uh that 1000 uh, subscriber mark and uh yeah the ability to turn on monetization which i can imagine will only trickle through but quite happy for anything that can help uh keep the lights on in this project so with that in mind if you really enjoyed this episode uh you really enjoy what i do here uh please do check us out on patreon com forward slash the simple life where you can help me keep on uh the lights uh on this little project of mine also do check out the simple life uh website simplelife.com or uk whichever you prefer they both go to the same place anyway uh which is the new website that i've personally hand built uh using squarespace shout out squarespace making it beyond fucking easy compared to uh the wordpress and various other fucking systems i've tried to build websites on in the past so yeah i have a fully functional website i say that mm-hmm go check it find any bugs do let me know but yeah i think it's it's functional and up and uh ready uh be relaunching blogs within the coming weeks as well so the last week in weed series will be restarting as well as an exciting new series uh which i think i briefly discussed in the podcast called the trip report which is exploring sort of psychedelic culture and the emerging industry so yeah folks uh i've enjoyed this hope you've enjoyed this we'll be back next week with i don't know somebody it'll be good and you'll enjoy it All right. Peace and love, folks. See you next week.